to politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day, another great week, in fact, in this greatest nation on God's green earth, a great nation that is still percolating, and that might be the right word, over the instance of anti-Semitism on college campuses and uh, the involvement in what have been called to be anti-Semitic responses by leading university presidents, including one former university president who, because of the testimony in a House committee and because of our inability to answer the trick question, no, it wasn't a trick question, uh, would your university sanction, uh, would your university's rules allow uh, people calling for genocide against the Jewish people. And the fact that uh, Liz McGill, the uh, president of the University of Pennsylvania, just couldn't answer that question, couldn't bring herself to answer it, has uh, meant her resignation and uh, her and the resignation, by the way, of Mr. Bach, who was actually the president of the board of directors. They're both gone. They're cleaning house at Penn. And about time. Uh, meanwhile, hundreds of faculty at Harvard University have signed a petition backing that school's president, Claudine Gay. We will get to that. And what this entire conflict means and whether it will get to some of the deeper issues involving the corruption of ma major American universities. And what really is really deep and disturbing about all of this is the embrace of moral relativism. When somebody asks, okay, does calling for the genocide of, it doesn't, if it's, it's Jewish people, it's particularly sensitive because we were the targets of the most organized, most devastating genocide in all of human history during the Holocaust. But if you swell for the genocide against all LBGTQ people, would that be a violation of rules against harassment and intimidation if you called for black people uh, being thrown back into slavery or being the subject of genocide? Wouldn't that be offensive? Uh, there is a, an attempt uh, by a, a figure from the world of sports, by the way, to try to fight anti-Semitism, not that anti-Semitism has been a particular issue in the world of sports, but we will get to that. We will also be speaking to Charles Lipson, who was a longtime professor at the University of Chicago. He's a uh, graduate of Yale. What, what can these universities do to try to take away this stain that has been spread across the entire university horizon. Uh, meanwhile, speaking of the horizon, uh, there is a piece in the Wall Street Journal, and a very controversial piece. It shouldn't be, though, but it's about how Israel is succeeding in sending a very clear message to Hezbollah in Lebanon to uh, Iran itself. And what is that uh, message? The message is, take a look at northern Gaza. <laughs> and we will get to that issue as well. And to new polling that shows that uh, Trump is easily beating Biden. He beats Biden even uh, more decisively 
if there are third and fourth and fifth party candidates in the race who win an accumulated total of some 17 percent. And uh, uh, yet there are other polls that show that uh, Nikki Haley does even better than uh, President Trump. Why would that be? We will get to that issue with A.B. Stoddard of the Bulwark and more coming up on the Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776 is our phone number. Hundreds of faculty at Harvard have signed a petition backing the school's president, uh, Claudine Gay, following a backlash over her appearance at a congressional hearing on rising anti-Semitism in the United States. The petition warns that bowing to political pressure to fire Harvard President Claudine Gay would be at odds with Harvard's commitment to academic freedom and calls on administrators to defend the independence of the university. Now, why is this petition necessary? Well, because uh, Claudine Gay was uh, virtually a carbon copy or some kind of echo of the mistakes that led Liz McGill at University of Pennsylvania to actually lose her position as president of one of the eight Ivy League universities. And it, it, the one of the reasons that nothing has happened is because uh, Claudine Gay was a little bit more prompt in apologizing for her remarks at the end of her congressional testimony. Uh, she spoke to the Harvard Crimson, which is the student newspaper at Harvard, longtime student newspaper at Harvard. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt, when he was at Harvard College, uh, was at one point worked on the Crimson. In any event, Harvard President Claudine Gay apologized for her remarks at the end of her congressional testimony, which sparked fierce national criticism and led the leadership of Harvard Hillel, that's the Jewish organization on campus, which holds regular prayer services and social gatherings, and virtually every major university in the country has a Hillel house. But the leadership of Harvard Hillel said they don't trust her to protect Jewish students at the university. I am sorry, Gay said in an interview with the Crimson last week. Words matter. When words amplify distress and pain, I don't know how you could feel anything but regret, Gay added. Okay. Gay said she sought to use her testimony before the House Committee on Education and the Workforce on Tuesday to highlight efforts underway at Harvard to combat anti-Semitism. Her remarks, however, only served to inflame criticism of Gay's response to reports of anti-Semitism on campus. The full hearing lasted for nearly six hours, but it was a tense 90-second exchange with Representative Elise M. Stefanik, uh, 06, that means the Harvard class of uh, 2006, at the end of Gay's testimony that went viral on social media, drawing national condemnation from the White House to Harvard's Jewish Center. At Harvard, just calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment. Uh, Congresswoman Stefanik asked, it can be depending on the context, Gay responded. But Stefanik pressed Gay to give a yes or no answer to the question about whether calls for the genocide of Jews constitute a violation of Harvard's policies. Anti-Semitic speech 
when it crosses into conduct that amounts to bullying, harassment, intimidation, that is actionable conduct, and we do take action, Gay said. Uh, Stefanik tried again. So the answer is yes, that calling for the genocide of Jews violates Harvard's Code of Conduct, correct? Stefanik asked, well, again, it depends on the context, Gay said. It does not depend on the context. The answer is, this is Stefanik again, the answer is yes, and this is why you should resign, a Stefanik shot back. These are unacceptable answers across the board. Uh, well, yes, they are. So what could she have done? What should she have done? What needs to change at our college campuses? We'll be talking to longtime professor Charles Lipson, by the way, who is a graduate of Yale. Uh, and he will be talking to us coming up. We'll also be speaking about what is the message that has been sent by the ongoing war in Gaza and how is that war going? Is it moving us any closer to a resolution, the actual destruction of Hamas's uh, chance to uh, do another attack like the one they did on October 7th? We'll give you an up-to-date report on all of that coming up on The Medved Show. Thanks for taking my call. You're the most brilliant radio talk host in America today. The Michael Medved Show. Michael Medved show. Uh, absolutely pleased, delighted, thrilled to be able to make a uh, a very reassuring announcement, which is that uh, our new Substack that we've just initiated, uh, where you can get all the information, and I hope you can join us as a subscriber. Uh, the Substack is uh, at Michael Medved. One word, of course. Dot Substack. Dot com. Our Substack subscription has just soared over 1,000 um, subscribers, and that is a terrific development for us. It's uh, been very quick because it literally has only been a matter of a couple of weeks, and uh, the uh, Substack people have been very impressed, and thank you for that. And uh, right now we have just posted on Substack some information about this new film that I was working on all last week, uh, working on it in terms of I am the host, the narrator, because the film's based on my book, The American Miracle, uh, Divine Providence and the Rise of the Republic. And it was uh, just so reassuring to actually work with the people behind the movie version, which it says in the... Uh, a promo that they have for it, it says coming in 2025. It actually looks like it's going to be coming in 2024 uh, at the 4th of July. But in time for the sesquicentennial of the United States, that's the 250th anniversary since the signing of the Declaration of Independence. If you go to Substack now, 
and you go to michaelmedved.substack.com, uh, you can see information about the uh, this film version of The American Miracle. Uh, they have a very handsome uh, look at the uh, main uh, image that is being used to uh, promote this uh, movie. Uh, there are, oh, a number of people who are very distinguished who are taking part in the film, including a former Oscar winner for Best Actor. I think you can find out about that out that uh, if you go to michaelmedved.substack.com. And also, when you become a subscriber, you will have access to uh, what we have been presenting, which is a series on myths, misunderstandings, and lies about the Middle East. And uh, one of those lies is the idea that the Holocaust somehow created the state of Israel. And that is not to say that the Holocaust was not a significant event, but for people who say that, well, this was the way that providence had to work because otherwise there would have been no state of Israel, they are ignoring the, the depths and the duration of Zionist history. And uh, it's important that people get that straight. Uh, we have a new uh, uh, title in that series, that's going to concern the relationship, the alliance between Israel and the United States. And no, that alliance does not go all the way back to the creation of the modern state of Israel in 1948. It's much more recent, and uh, some of that context is actually important as well. Uh, at uh, Substack, michaelmedved.substack.com. Uh, meanwhile, talking about the problem on college campuses and the fact that this has become a, such a, a, a huge subject all across the United States, the um, uh, Brett Stevens writes in uh, uh, the New York Times, I have some sympathy for the three college presidents, the presidents of Penn, who has now resigned, been forced to resign, really, uh, the president of Harvard and the president of MIT. I have some sympathy for the three presidents after their stumbling performances. None have been in their jobs for long. Uh-huh, so that excuses it? No, Brett doesn't say that. He says, they all expressed abhorrence for anti-Semitism during more than three hours of testimony, and they are clearly struggling without a balanced respect for free expression on campuses with uh, opposition to hate speech. When McGill of Penn later posted a video trying to clarify her remarks, she had the broken look of someone who thought she was about to be sacked. Well, she was about to be sacked, and she got sacked. But the deep problem with their testimony, writes Brett Stevens, uh, was not fundamentally about calls for genocide or free speech. It was about double standards, itself a form of anti-Semitism, but one that can be harder to detect. The double standard is this. Colleges and universities that for years have been notably censorious when it comes to free speech seem to have suddenly discovered its virtues only now when the speech in question tends to be especially hurtful to Jews. 
And uh, Stevens writes, the point came across at uh, different moments at the hearing. Representative uh, Tim Wahlberg, who is a Michigan Republican, uh, observed that Carol Hooven, an evolutionary biologist, had been hounded out of Harvard, though not fired outright, for her views on sex categories. In what world, Wahlberg asked, is a call for violence against Jews protected speech, but the belief that sex is biological and binary, in other words, that there's only male and female, that's it. Uh, this uh, lady, uh, Carol Hooven, lost her job at Harvard because she insisted something that every American, even those without Harvard diplomas or even Yale diplomas, uh, that even people like that acknowledge, which is basically there are two genders, and they are distinct. And uh, he asked, uh, this is Congressman uh, Wahlberg, he asked, in what world is a call for violence against Jews, protected speech, but a belief that sex is biological and bar binary isn't? A gay offered no real answer. That's Claudine Gay of Harvard. Representative Donald Norcross, a New Jersey Democrat, then asked McGill if she would permit a hypothetical conference of 25 racists to go forward at Penn. Given that in September, under the banner of free expression, she had allowed a conference that included speakers uh, she herself had condemned as anti-Semitic to take place at the school. Uh, she could not bring herself to answer yes. Okay, there's a, a, another issue here, and it's something that I mentioned on air last week, and I, I think it's very important. Part of the problem and the reason that this uh, offends people so profoundly is it shows the absolute reign of moral relativism at too many college campuses across the country. Uh, we will get to why that's a problem talking to former professor Charles Lipson of University of Chicago coming up on the MedVet Show. Medved Show, a pleasure and an honor to welcome back to our show uh, Charles Lipson, who is an American political scientist who is a professor emeritus of political science at the University of Chicago, where he taught for many years. His areas of specialization include international relations, international political economy, and modern international history. He is a frequent contributor to Real Clear Politics, The Spectator, uh, the Telegraph and the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Charles, you have a, a, an interesting piece about uh, university presidents. And what's fascinating to me is <laughs> all of a sudden 
this is very big news, and there's a lot of attention to the people who are the presidents of leading universities in the country right now. Uh, that hasn't really been a, a big concern of the public until just a couple of weeks ago, has it? I think that's right. I think what happened is that uh, what was hidden under a rock was turned over with that uh, testimony. And um, it it was really uh, shameful to hear that the people who have been pushing uh, as aggressions, uh, using the wrong pronoun or something like that, were now uh, unable to say whether calling for Jewish genocide was a violation of their speech rules. <laughs> and and so, uh, do you think that the uh, board of directors uh, of, of trustees at University of Pennsylvania made the right decision? The chairman of the board of trustees, uh, Mr. Bach, uh, resigned. And uh, they uh, apparently requested the resignation of Liz McGill, the president of University of Pennsylvania, and they got it. She's gone. She's gone to the law school at, in a cushy job. And uh, I think that it was outstanding that they got rid of her. And I think if several more uh, people are forced out, they can call it voluntary if they want to, uh, but forced out, uh, it would have a tremendous effect. And let me let me say why they deserve to be forced out. There are really two reasons. The first is that they failed to deal effectively with the current crisis. And that's true at many schools, not, not just Harvard and MIT and Penn, Columbia, NYU, quite a few others. Uh, and by failing to deal effectively with it, they they've shown they're unfit to manage those institutions of higher learning. So that's the, the main reason. The second reason is that if you force out a few, what you do is change the incentive structure for uh, university leaders everywhere. And the incentive structure until now, uh, which you can see in the 700 uh, faculty members at Harvard who have signed a petition to keep Claudine Gray in her position. The internal uh, logic is don't do anything to protect uh, vulnerable students unless they meet your criteria uh, of what is a vulnerable minority that you want to protect. And if they don't fall into that uh, that. Uh, privileged class, then um, to hell with them. But what's happening now that all of this has been exposed is that the incentive structures are changing. Donors, uh, Bill Ackman, who is a hedge fund manager who's been one of the people pushing at Harvard, now says they've lost over a billion dollars in prospective donations. Well, Harvard can afford to lose a billion dollars, but a lot of other universities can't. And so that's going to put pressure on them. Universities, of course, want to maintain their autonomy from any outside pressures. And I can understand that, but I can tell you that if they maintain that autonomy completely, uh, they will have uh, no chance of being reformed at all. 
you, I, I happen to know because we've talked about it off the air. You and I were at Yale at the same time, and uh, again, we remember both of us the very distinguished and uh, nationally renowned and honored president of Yale at the time, Kingman Brewster, who got involved right. in his own controversy about some comments he made about the Black Panthers, where he right. was very sympathetic to the Black Panthers. But uh, the current president of Yale, who has announced, unfortunately, that he's leaving, has been a pretty good guy, Peter Salovey. And uh, what did, did he do that has allowed him to uh, guide Yale in a way that uh, they haven't had this tumult or this disaster that has afflicted some of their sister schools? Well, I'm not sure that Yale has been as well-guided as um, as you were saying. I mean, you may be right, but, boy, I've met a lot of people who know Yale very well and who uh, are uh, really upset with the direction. But I will say that Yale, uh, and I would say this is true of Princeton, too, where uh, have uh, allowed uh, sort of, uh, little nooks and crannies where free speech is actually allowed. Yale has uh, an outside institute called the Buckley Institute, named after Bill Buckley. It was started by a former undergraduate and now brings in conservative speakers. Uh, I'm, I'm not, if all the speakers on campus were conservative, I would support uh, a progressive or liberal organization that was bringing in people on the left. Colleges ought to be places where you can hear different viewpoints, where hecklers don't have a veto, um, where uh, when pro-Israel students meet on the campus quadrangle, they're not shouted down with a bullhorn uh, by uh, a combination of Muslim students and progressives. Uh, free speech, intelligent debate ought to be um, ought to be the a coin of the realm at universities. I think that's been more present there. Uh, the the top universities nationally over, say, the last decade were Chicago and Purdue, and Purdue was led uh, by Mitch Daniels, um, who is a very distinguished public servant and a former uh, governor of Indiana. Right, exactly, and. Uh, it just did a fine job there. And uh, Chicago was led by the late Bob Zimmer, who uh, who made it a kind of beacon of free speech. And, uh, and I wish that more universities would move in that direction and that it didn't take donors kind of saying, hey, we've had enough of this, uh, uh, to move them. But not just donors, parents saying, I don't want to send my child into this cauldron of hate. Cold cauldron of hate is a memorable phrase. Uh, you may have seen that uh, uh, Mr. Kraft, who was the owner of the New England Patriots, uh, just pledged a, an additional hundred million dollars to an institute to fight uh, anti-Semitism. Uh, do you think that some of these institutional efforts to combat the what's been called the world's oldest hatred will have some impact? I hope so. Uh, but uh, let me let me just say, you can't be sure uh, whether they'll just, in effect, steal the money. 
the, the MacArthur Foundation in Chicago was founded by a notable conservative. With It is now one of the most progressive foundations in the country. It, it gave a genius grant to an inferior scholar, Kendi X. Ibram, uh, <laughs> at, at BU. He's called a genius. Well, how did this happen? Well, the people who were originally on the board were quickly replaced by people uh, who are exactly what the foundation world wants. Okay, and this is something that we have to pay attention to and keep our eyes on. Uh, uh, Charles, it's always a great pleasure to speak to you. And we posted your latest up at our website at michaelmedved.com. We will be right back with more. The Michael Medved Show. All across America. This is The Michael Medved Show. Michael Medved show uh, later in the show we're going to be covering uh, the revelations and there are some real revelations from a major major new poll from the Wall Street Journal it shows that uh, one candidate for president has a 17 point lead in the general election that's not to win the nomination that's to win the whole enchilada the White House so who's ahead by 17 points? No, it's not Joe Biden. No, it's not Donald Trump. Somebody else who is an announced candidate. Uh, we will tell you about that coming up. Uh, first off, just to follow up on something that I mentioned in the conversation with Charles Lipson about the fight against anti-Semitism. It's uh, kind of remarkable that uh, there is this item in the paper today uh, in the Wall Street Journal, New England Patriots owner Robert Kraft is matching a $100 million donation uh, to his foundation to combat anti-Semitism, giving the project $200 million in new funding that he says will sustain the cause for decades to come. Kraft's donation, which comes two months after the Hamas attacks that plunged Israel into war, equals one made by the Norman R. Rails and Ruth Rails Foundation. And he says the donations will allow the foundation to combat anti-Semitism to significantly expand its operations with permanent financing. I uh, quote, uh, this is a foundation that can't run for the next two to three years. It has to run for at least a couple of decades, Kraft says. I'm not sure its work will ever be done. Crass Foundation has taken on a uh, more prominent public profile over the last couple of years. It launched a Stand Up to Jewish Hate ad that uh, ran during the last NFL season after a string of high-profile anti-Semitic incidents, such as comments by musician Kanye. Uh, earlier this year, the 82-year-old, that's Robert Kraft, committed $25 million to broaden the campaign and educate the public about the rise in anti-Semitic incidents. The difficulty is uh, having a big campaign that says stand up to Jewish hate is a, a, a very ambiguous title. Somebody could read that, say stand up to Jewish hate, and think that what you were supposed to be standing up to was not hatred of Jews, but hatred by Jews. 
So good luck to Robert Kraft. Obviously, he means incredibly well. And uh, to have that kind of wealth to give to a cause like this, uh, congratulations to him. He uh, Kraft started the Foundation to Combat Anti-Semitism in 2019 in response to several incidents over the preceding years. And the idea of what this anti-Semitism means in human terms, there was a local column here in Seattle in the Seattle Times by uh, a man named Henry Aronson, who I'd never heard of before, but he's apparently a very distinguished lawyer today. And he recalls experiencing just horrible anti-Semitism growing up in Seattle when he was a little kid. And he talks very specifically on going to the Alderwood Resort with his family. It was a family vacation. It was him and his sister and his parents. And uh, he was a young young guy, um, I think 11, 12, something like that, he said. And he came to the Alderbrook Resort, which is a beautiful place. It's on the Hood Canal and uh, hiking and boating and lovely. And they had a reservation. And when they came in at the desk, the... Uh, the fellow at the desk taking the registration of says, Aronson, do you mind my asking a question? Are you Jewish? And uh, the, the author's father said, yes, I am. He said, well, I'm sorry, we have a policy, uh, no, no Jewish guests at this facility. And <laughs> they, they had to leave. They had to drive back to town. It's a long drive. And he, he recalls uh, sobbing together with his sister because they were giving up their vacation, and they were, and and then he also talks about, and this shows you how far we've come in this country today. That would be unthinkable. I say it really would be unthinkable, and partially because of civil rights legislation that came out of the civil rights movement against racism against black people, but there were also uh, and the same thing is true. There were places like Broadmoor, which was originally a gated community here in Seattle, where Jews <laughs> were not allowed. And it was it was in your uh, purchase contract that you couldn't uh, violate the purchase contract by uh, selling your house uh, after you'd lived there for however long you want to somebody who was Jewish. Uh and, and this goes along with the college quotas uh, that uh, kept the number of Jewish admittees down. And all the Ivy League universities at one point uh, practiced those college quotas. So, again, in the midst of the outrage of what's going on on campuses today, it, it, at least we've come to a point where I think Americans... Uh, have a a very different attitude, and when you hear stories like that about uh, the bad old days, it should also help correct people who believe that the only direction America has moved is downward. That everything is worse today than it was fifty years ago. Not true. Uh, Farid Zakaria says this may be what we have just been seeing with the college presidents maybe a turning point for universities. Uh, he's on CNN. Listen. 
The American public has been losing faith in these universities for good reason. Three university presidents came under fire this week for their vague and indecisive answers when asked whether calling for the genocide of Jews would violate their institution's codes of conduct. But to understand their performance, we have to understand the broad shift that has taken place at elite universities, which have gone from being centers of excellence to institutions pushing political agendas. People sense the transformation. This souring on higher education makes America an outlier among all advanced nations. American universities have been neglecting a core focus on excellence in order to pursue a variety of agendas, many of them clustered around diversity and inclusion. It started with the best of intentions, but those good intentions have morphed into a dogmatic ideology and turned these universities into places where the pervasive goals are political and social engineering, not academic merit. America's top colleges are no longer seen as bastions of excellence, but partisan outfits, which means they will keep getting buffeted by these political storms as they emerge. They should abandon this long misadventure into politics, retrain their gaze on their core strengths, and rebuild their reputations as centers of research and learning. This is very profound and very important. And uh, abandoning the emphasis on politics, that's one of the reasons you knew you were going to get into trouble, or they should have known, with uh, Liz McGill as president of Penn, because her entire background is political. Uh, working for Byron Dorgan, who was a, a Democratic U.S. senator from North Dakota, uh, serving as a clerk, legal clerk to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the most liberal voice on the Supreme Court when she was there. And her entire family is involved in democratic politics. And nothing wrong with that. But again, if you're trying to get universities to have a broader focus that isn't so exclusively left-wing, uh, this is U University of Pennsylvania professor Adam Grant on the resignation of the president, Liz McGill, of his university. Clip one. This is a, a tough time to be a university president. There have been many tests this fall, and I think Congress was the final exam. And unfortunately, we heard from lawyers when we needed leaders. And I think, as every professor knows, when you fail a test that big, you don't get to keep your job. Uh, I think after losing the, the trust of a lot of stakeholders and many followers, you're no longer capable of leading effectively. Her resignation is not exactly going to solve the rise in anti-Semitism, the rise also in Islamophobia. This is a kind of a big question, but are, or do you think the policies in place right now at the University of Pennsylvania are, are enough? Honestly, I don't. Um, and I don't have any easy answers. I think policing speech is an extremely complicated and, um, and dangerous endeavor. And uh, more dangerous endeavors coming up. Uh, there is, as I mentioned, a shocking uh, Wall Street Journal poll that shows a shocking advantage to one presidential candidate. Which one? We'll tell you in this greatest nation on God's green earth.